0: All right, open your Bibles to that, uh, probably the passage you think of first when you think of Mother's Day, uh, just kind of the typical Mother's Day passage, Exodus chapter 2. If that's the one you thought of, then I'm amazed. Exodus chapter 2 this morning, we are going to look at an incredible mother, uh, her name is Jochebed, and uh, we're going to see her just a little bit today and uh, look forward to that. Exodus chapter two, and beginning in verse number one, says, "And there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son, and when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could not longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and and with pitch, and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the river's side, and when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, And behold, the babe wept, and she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it, And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses, and she said, Because I drew him out of the water. Father, I pray that you would help us as we study this morning. Pray that you'd give exactly what we need and that you would speak to our hearts. Uh, We love you. We thank you for it. Thank you for uh, each mom who is in this service today. And Lord, thank you for uh, their love for you, their love for their children. Lord, thank you for every family that is here. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would continue to bless uh, in our church. Pray that you'd continue to bless uh, as we are working to be able to get back to a a more normal type of a setting, but Lord, as we do that slowly, pray that you'd give us patience, pray that you'd give us the ability to uh, enjoy the time of fellowship, and uh, just the camaraderie with one another as we are uh, in this setting, but at least able to see each other, have conversation, and uh, have some element of fellowship there. We love you, we thank you for it, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Building children, we've been looking uh, for the last few weeks, of course, at The idea of being established. And so this morning, uh, I want to look at established children and uh, how do we have children who are established upon God's word. Uh, This obviously is not going to take place by accident. We're not going to have children who just one day wake up and uh, pop out of bed being godly. And I understand, uh, in fact, I thought last night, I probably, once we split the services, should have put together a whole different message for this service that uh, was very specific to grandmothers. But uh, really going to look at this, but also we'll make some application there. Because I believe there's a lot of application from being a mom to being a grandma and uh, the investment opportunity that you have in the life of your children. And then, of course, uh, like anything with the Word of God, there's a lot of application for each of us. If we're not a mom, I certainly am not. Every now and then, my uh, daughter says, someday, Daddy, when you get bigger, you can be a mommy. And I say, no. No, that's just not going to work. She hasn't quite figured out how all that works. And, uh, but I'd say, no, Liam's going to be a daddy, and she keeps trying to convince him he can be a mommy someday too. But uh, her idea of a mommy is mommy gets to do whatever she wants, whenever she wants, and tell us what to do. So she's really excited about being a mommy, and uh, I think she thinks she's going to get to boss Liam around for the rest of her life one of these days, and uh, she's really thrilled about that. Um, so uh, the question, though, is this. How do we know what we're building while we're still in the building process. I mean, that's probably the challenge of everything. With a uh, physical building, if we're going to build it, if we don't have blueprints, it's hard to know what we're going to end up with if we don't have a plan or a process that we're putting in on the way to getting there. And so we need blueprints that show us the final product uh, before we really begin the actual physical building of the structure. And uh, this morning, that's really what we want to look at uh, in the sense of children, kind of a uh, a blueprint for rearing godly children. After the dedication of his baby brother in church, little Johnny sobbed all the way home and he, he just kept crying and crying and his dad asked him what was wrong and there was no answer and he just kept bawling and his dad asked him a second time what was wrong and still no answer. He was just crying uncontrollably, couldn't seem to get it out. And finally, on the third time, he said, Johnny, you need to give me an answer. He said, uh, what, what is going on? Why do you just keep crying and crying and crying? I mean, what is happening? Finally, Johnny got it out. He said, the pastor today, he said that uh, when he was praying, he wanted us to be brought up in a Christian home. But I want to stay with you guys. Sometimes you wonder if that's not how our home works, amen? Uh, we think it's Christian home, but uh, we, we battle with those things. Uh, I want you to give you this morning three architectural, architectural uh, considerations that clarify the blueprint for building established children. How is it that we can uh, help our children, our grandchildren, to be established in the Word of God? First of all, this morning, I see here that we need to use the appropriate materials. We've got to use the appropriate materials if we're going to build them in the right manner. Uh, I see that Moses was established first through tenderness the first material that is going to be put into his life, the first element that Jochebed has is the element of tenderness. She loves her child. She loves him too much to just throw him to the alligators. And so she spends the time uh, building this little ark to put him in, this little uh, basket, as it were. And uh, somebody said that the uh, actual basket being woven, that is like uh, the mother who is uh, putting time and love and tenderness, and it's the heart of the mother being uh, expressed. And then the lining it with pitch is the idea or the picture uh, of prayer and the prayers that a mother puts into her child. It takes both the physical, the work, the love, but also the prayer in order to have children who love God. And uh, certainly many of you could say amen to that. And you know the labor and the hours and the work that you put in. I've always uh, been very appreciative of my mom. I've always been very appreciative of uh, moms in general. But of course, now having a wife who is a mom, I I see how much that she puts in. Every now and then I wake up as she's laying back down. And uh, I think, man, you know, can't you be quiet when you come back to bed at three o'clock in the morning? And uh, none of you men ever thought that. I know you were all up helping, working, laboring right alongside. And, uh, but you know, the reality of it is there's so much that goes in. There's so many hours. There's so much time. There's, uh, you know, even now as our kids are getting older, Abigail doesn't sleep good. She just has too much energy. She sleeps for about four hours and she's fully charged and ready to fly, and uh, and she's always kind of been that way, and so she'll come in, usually between three and six o'clock in the morning, somewhere in that range, and uh, she'll walk in and say, I need milk, mommy, I need milk, and sometimes she just wakes up, and Abigail's just standing there staring at her, and, uh, but she just, so the other day, I told her, I said, Abigail, your milk is in the fridge, and when you wake up in the morning, you go get your milk, and go back to your bed and drink it, mommy needs a night that she can just sleep, she said, so... My milk will be in the fridge. I said, yeah. She said, what if it's stuck? Sometimes I pull on the door and it won't open. I said, then pull harder. You get the door open. She said, okay. She said, so then I have to get my milk and not go to your bed, but go to my bed. I said, yes. Yes. And so I didn't think anything would happen. Well, the next morning, Vanessa said she woke up somewhere around four o'clock in the morning. She heard somebody playing. Then she heard the fridge open and close, and Abigail went back to her bed. And she remembered. I thought, this is great. I'm going to tell her this every single night. And uh, so, uh, but, but as I look at it, I think, man, just go to your own bed. <laughs> but you know, a mom has that care that, uh, hey, come climb in, come on, and uh, let me just take care of you as is needed. And And mom's put so much in. Somebody said, The hard heart in which the merriment of childhood kindles no sunshine and wakens no music is no more fit for the resting and growing place of an infant than the sands of the desert are fit for the planting of a vineyard or sowing of a wheat field. You know, there's something about the, uh, the, the merriment of a child, the, uh, the noises a child makes, those little voices, and uh, the, even the little squealing and all of that, that uh, while sometimes that word mommy can become, uh, I just need a break from that word, the reality of it though is that there's something about it that just brings a sunshine into the heart of a mom uh, into the heart of a parent with that kind of a love. I notice here the care of his mother. Jochebed was an obscure woman. She's not someone who was well known. We know her because she's the mother of Moses, but she's not somebody that if you look back in history that you're going to read uh, pages in the annals of history about Jochebed. Jochebed was actually a very obscure woman. She was a slave. She was someone who really nobody in the kingdom would have known who she was or anything special about her. Uh, she, was, uh, she was just a slave, just one of the Hebrews. Someone said she was not only an obscure woman, but she was an obscure woman with no more than ordinary attainments. Operating in a capacity little better than menial against fearful odds. She was someone who was operating in a, uh, a place as a slave, just uh, likely at best a little hut. Uh, there was really nothing special about the place. There was nothing special, humanly speaking, about the woman. There was nothing about her that, spo- that jumped out and off of the page as, here's someone who has the potential of changing uh, the course of history. And yet we know that in just a few short years, that which she put into her child changed the course of history. Uh, That which she put into the heart of Moses made such a great difference. This loving mother was too much for all of Egypt's sages, scholars, priests, nobles, and rulers to overcome. Think about all that Egypt had to offer, the most powerful country in the world. And you think about all that they had to give and all that uh, they had to to use to influence the heart and mind of Moses. And all of that was thrown at him. Uh, Every instructor in the whole nation, whoever was the best of their field, they would have taught Moses whoever was the highest of uh, the psychologists, whoever was the one who was supposed to be the greatest of the magicians, all the different elements that they would have put in to influence the life, the heart, and the mind of Moses for all of what would be considered his most formative years. And yet somewhere in those beginning stages was a mom who just put something into the heart and mind of Moses beyond that which anyone else could. It's really an amazing thing. She had two reasons uh, that she was able to win this contest for the heart of Moses. Number one, she started first. And number two, she worked by the law of love. And, And you know, the reality of it is that our children, our grandchildren, they need us to be diligent about starting first. And so often, even as a uh, grandma, the great privilege of being able uh, to be there around your grandchildren and putting into them and uh, spending time with them and letting them just see the love, that mother's heart that you have, that love that you have for your grandchildren and and what a love there is in that. And then when we start early, letting them know that that love is not just ours, but it's the love of God flowing through us. And, And by the way, we can have a great impact not only in our own children and grandchildren, but in others as well well. There's some this morning that uh, you might say, you know, pastor, I'd love to be a mom, but God just hasn't blessed in that sense. And, and, and what about me? What do I do in a day like this? And obviously we're very sensitive. I'm very sensitive. My wife's very sensitive to uh, that particular uh, person because we've been there and, and uh, we still are in a sense of not being able to have children naturally. And, and sometimes we would look at that and for years we'd look at it and say, well, what is our role And then we started figuring out there's other children in our church that God gives us an opportunity at a very young age to start influencing and to start being a blessing to and uh, to start helping them along and just let them see the love of Christ flowing through us to them and we can invest in their lives and and we can help them to be able to grow up in a a sense as far as in a church setting and things like that, knowing that there's just people that love them from an early age and, and investing in them in that manner, starting first. We've got to get their heart before they get in the world. We start first, but not only that, we work by the law of love. Before any Egyptian could influence the heart of the child, she already had possession of his ear and possession of his heart. And you know that's exactly what we need to do. At some point, this world around us is going to take all of their quote-unquote wisest people, They're going to take all of their magicians, they're going to take all of their influencers, they're going to take all of their abilities uh, of trying to influence the psyche of a child, and they're going to take all of their educators, and they're going to throw everything they have at the hearts and minds of our children because Satan wants and this world system wants to influence them. So we have to start first and we have to do it with diligence and not only start first but operating by the law of love that we so love them that we want them to know the truths of the word of God. And so here I see Moses, first of all, was established through her tenderness. Secondly, he was established through training. Look at verse number seven, chapter two, verse seven. It says, then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women? that she may nurse the child for thee. Uh, The idea of this nursing of the child was uh, more than just as a a pure infant, but it would have gone for the first couple of years of his life. And and the idea was that she would train him. She would have him uh, at the point where he would know how to obey his mom before uh, Pharaoh's daughter would have him. And so she didn't really want to deal with all that, you know, like when they're three and they're going through their terrible twos still. She didn't want to deal with that. And so she said, here, you take care of all that, bring him to me when he's trained. That'd be almost the idea here. And so uh, we don't know exactly how old Moses was. Uh, I've tried to figure it out, but I can't figure out an exact number of how old he was when he would have been weaned and all that, Uh, but somewhere from five to eight, probably uh, years old. And so she had just a few years, but now he's come to the place where he's trained enough to stand and uh, to be then further trained uh, in different areas. And so uh, he's established through training, Purposed biblical training is an absolute requirement in the process of building biblical children. And so uh, we've got to be doing this. We've got to have the tenderness, the love. We've got to have uh, the ability to train them. But then not only that, and this is where let's make some application to our own lives here as well. He was established through the tenderness of his mother. He was established through the training from his mother. But then he was also established through trials. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to tonight, planning on preaching from James chapter 1, unless the Lord changes my mind there. But uh, that's my plan tonight. And uh, that, that passage that uh, we should have joy when the tribulations come, in the midst of diverse uh, trials and tribulations, and uh, when those things strike, when those problems come. And uh, I'm looking forward to preaching on that. There's so much application to the day we're in, the time we're in, and uh, all those things. But the reality of it is this, tests are needed to establish us. And tests are needed to establish our children. In the Word of God, Uh, I see here, first of all, the test of loneliness. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be taken from his mother, the only mom he'd ever known, his actual mother, and then be placed in the palace with someone who was supposedly his mother? What a test that must have been just as a young boy of loneliness. And the sorrow that must have come, surely the nights of crying of homesickness and, and the desire just to be back with his mother, even though it would have been in the slave's quarters of child doesn't care, he'd rather be with his mother in the slave's quarters than in the castle, but away from his mom. And you can imagine the emotion that must have come with that, the, uh, the, the heartache for this child, Moses. And so there's the test of loneliness. Secondly, it would have been the test of power. He lived as a prince. Now he gets past the test of loneliness and over the next years he comes to the place of being not just the son of the uh, princess but really the grandson of the king then and he's living as a prince. He's living with all the power of Egypt at his fingertips. He's living with all the knowledge of, England, uh, of Egypt being placed into his mind. He's living with the temptation to live according to power and, and to live according to wealth and all those things. He has the temptation, just as all of us would, to cast his lot in with, Israel, uh, with Egypt. But the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than the treasures in Egypt. The treasures of Egypt were at his fingertips. And he said, you know, I'm really not interested in all the treasures of the world. I'm interested in a relationship with my God. What an incredible man. What an incredible decision. The test of loneliness. The test of power. Number three, I think about this. The test of patience. Here's Moses. He goes through that loneliness as a little child. He gets a little bit older. And now these around 40 years old that he's got great power. He's got great ability. He is apparently one of the people who's in line to become one of the great leaders of Egypt. Then he goes and takes action. He kills up out in the wilderness now, tending sheep. And he knew that it was God's will for him to be the one to lead the people out of bondage. He knew that he was supposed to be the deliverer of Israel. He understood that to be the will of God. And now all he's doing, in his own estimation, is just wasting his life on some dumb sheep. And here he is for the next 40 years. Can you imagine the test of patience taking 40 years? Hopefully our test doesn't take that long. Amen. I mean, I can't imagine spending 40 years in the backside of the desert doing nothing but tending sheep and thinking, all right, Lord, one of these days. (laughs) And he got to the place he wasn't even thinking one of these days anymore. So here he is, the test of patience. And maybe today you say, you know, Pastor, I've got these plans and I've got these things and 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 there's this going on and that going on. And and maybe even you say, "Uh, I've been looking at this and that and all these things and all these plans. And now this coronavirus, I mean, it's just shut everything down. I mean, uh, you know, certainly as a church, we've had uh, plans and direction, and man, I've been so excited to be able to get to know you and uh, be able to spend time with you, and now I get to see you through a car window until this week. And uh, I mean, it just, it's totally changed our plans. It's taken some patience. The next few weeks are going to take some patience, and, and it may be something totally different that you look at, but you say, you know, I'm struggling with the test of patience. We all work through that. We all struggle through that. Here's Moses. He has to go through the test of patience, just going through that growing time as God is preparing him. And you know what I found, and what I'm sure most of you, probably all of you have found on a much greater level, is every single stage of life has some of this in it. I mean, every time we get to a new area, it's like God has to give us that time of growing and patience and learning patience and kind of relearn. Don't you wish that was like a one-time lesson and we were done? (laughs) I mean, I would love it. If I was done with that lesson, I'd be fine. (laughs) I hate the idea of patience. I'm not a patient person. I'm a hundred miles an hour person. I hate the idea of patience. But you know what God does? He brings us to the next stage of life and he says, okay, now let's learn some patience. And that's what he's doing with Moses, each step, each place. And and it doesn't matter if it's a parent or a grandparent or a great-grandparent. We still endure the test of patience. Over and over, we face that battle. Over and over, we go through that situation. Over and over, we come to that time. And so I see here, first of all, that uh, we have to use the appropriate materials. We have to go through these areas. Uh, Then number two. I see the anticipation of mistakes. Look at verses 11 and 12, chapter 2. Came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens. And he spied an Egyptian smiting an Hebrew one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that when he saw there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Uh, Moses made an unwise decision even though he was an established child. He was established in the Word of God. Jochebed had already trained all that into him. He's already come through the training in Egypt, and yet he still stayed faithful to the things of God. But as an established child, he made an unwise decision. It may be this morning uh, that you say, you know, Pastor, uh, I'm at that place where I have some grandchildren, but honestly... I'm, I'm disappointed that my children are making some of the decisions they are, and now those decisions are affecting my grandchildren. And, and we did what we could to raise them for the Lord, and to raise them in church, and to raise them to love God. And now they're making decisions that we're not pleased with. The reality is that even an established child, established in the word of God, can make some unwise decisions. And here's Moses. He uh, made some wise choices and unwise choice. And uh, and we see here the anticipation of mistakes. We should anticipate they're not going to be perfect. They will make some mistakes along the way. We see, first of all, uh, we have to use the right materials. Secondly, the anticipation of mistakes. I'm going to move quickly to number three, the application of moderation. The maturing process is a long process. For Moses, it was 80 years. For us, hopefully faster. Number two, the maturing process is a purposed process. Moses' mother was very purposed in the training of Moses during his early years. And we must also be very purposed in the training that we're doing of our children, of our grandchildren. Uh, We must train them for God's use. And let me give you this and we'll be about done. But I want to give you three thoughts here. If we're going to train them for God's use, number one, If we're going to train them for his use, we must pay more attention to their soul than to their body. Their soul than their body. You know, it's good to be physically healthy, but it's more important to be thoroughly right with God. If we train them to just love God, if we train them to have a healthy soul, that's more important than teaching them to have a healthy body. Now I think we can teach them both. Amen. But the reality is that that's the vital one. We've got to put the emphasis there. It implies that the primary emphasis is on the relationship with that child to God. And so that's where the emphasis must be. And as a uh, grandparent, what a great blessing and opportunity you have to put an emphasis there. Uh, Parents can put the emphasis there, certainly. But grandparents have a way of being able to really teach some truths and uh, really invest in some of these areas and put a real emphasis on those things. And so let me encourage you as a grandma, as a grandpa as well, even though it's Ma's Day. But uh, let me encourage you, uh, when you're around your grandchildren, don't just make it the physical. But make sure that you're giving them the spiritual truths, that you're training the soul, that you're teaching them to care for their soul more than to care for the things of this world. It implies that we pay more attention to the soul than the body. Secondly, it implies that we pay more attention to the heart than to the mind. The heart than the mind. In other words, we want our children to have a good education. That's vital. That's important. We want them to know how to do math. And uh, we don't just want them to know how to do uh, the math that they're teaching in some of the schools now, where they come up with a general number. And as long as they can explain how they got there, it's right. No, we want them to know that 3 plus 3 actually has a right answer. Amen? It's 9, of course. We all know that. We want them to have the understanding of how to do math. We want them to have the understanding uh, of how to, uh, what science is. And all those things are vital. But the reality is far more important than the training of the mind is the training of the heart. Teaching them how to have a heart that's tender to God. Oh, if they can see that modeled in mom and dad and grandma and grandpa. Oh, to see a grandma and a grandpa from time to time... Come to an altar and make a decision and get something right with God, what volumes that speaks to a grandchild. What volumes it speaks, uh, what a volume it speaks when a grandma or a grandpa says, You know, I was reading in my Bible last week and God spoke to me about, and I had to get this right. And for our grandchildren, your grandchildren, to be able to see. Oh, my grandma and grandpa, they're still not perfect. My grandma and grandpa are still growing. They're still making decisions. And to be able to see their heart is still tender to the things of God. We're trying to develop a heart more than a mind. We can do both, but that's the emphasis. Number one, it implies that we pay more attention to the soul than the body. Number two, that we pay more attention to the heart than to the mind. Number three, that we educate them for eternity rather than time. In other words, we're training them for a future world, not for this world. We want our children not to necessarily have a bunch of things. We want them to be able to stand before the creator of the universe with joy when they give an account. That's what we're preparing them for. That's what we're training them for. We're training with an eye to the judgment seat, preparing them all the time for the day that they stand before God. And so we've got to have the right emphasis in our training. We've got to teach them and let them see modeled in us these things. I heard about a farmer. He decided to remove an old beech tree that grew on his farm. He called a man, and this man was a uh, a woodcutter. He came in and cut the tree down. He was going to deal with it, and he uh, was going to cut it into lengths, into boards. He took it, and as he was getting ready to cut that tree down, he noticed there on the bark was uh, a very crudely and not very well done area where somebody had cut in, and, and it looked like the letters J-L and some kind of an ornamental design underneath that he couldn't quite figure out just what it was. After the tree had been cut down and uh, was being separated into the links, the, one of the links went right down basically the middle of the tree, and this man, this woodcutter, the one who was uh, this lumberjack, he was startled to find that right down in the very center of the tree there was very clearly cut on a dark background the letters J-L with a very clear anchor right underneath them. He thought, well, this is very strange. And so he started trying to figure it out. And upon inquiring, he found that the letters were the initials of a sailor named John Leland, who had carved his initials and that anchor when the tree was obviously still very young. It had basically been placed at the very core of that tree he began to count there were 37 rings between the letters and where they were carved and the exterior of that tree, the bark of that tree. And of course, each ring would represent a year. And so he began to summarize and figure this out. And he deduced that the letters must have been cut into that tree in the year 1853. His belief was confirmed when he learned that in 1853, John Leland had actually spent some time right there in that very neighborhood. The inscription had not only remained where it was originally cut into the tree, but with the growth of the tree for the next 37 years, every year it was placed out on the exterior of that tree once again. Every ring, uh, it was there. And, And the further it got from the source, the further it got from the heart of the tree, the less obvious it was, but still there, still marked with those letters. And yet at the core, they remained perfectly clear. You know, that's exactly how it works with our children. It's how it works with our grandchildren. The marks that we're making, one day they'll be a little less legible. One day it'll be, that's just their character. It won't necessarily be, wow, look at the training of their mother. The reality is there are many uh, older people who have a, uh, a mark that has been made by a mom who loved them and who took the time to mark their character that now people may not look and say, oh, I see the mark of their mom. But they know, they see clearly at the very core. They see clearly at the very heart of the matter, I am who I am because I had a mom who took the time to put the mark, to carve into me the very things of God, And to put those marks on the heart level. And now, all these years later, others can still kind of see it. But at the core, at the heart level, I know how it got there. It was a mom who loved me enough to mark me with biblical character. Oh, how grateful I am to have a mom who marked me in that way. Oh, how grateful all of us ought to be, and I'm sure are, who have moms who have done that. And maybe you say, you know, I didn't have a mom who marked me with biblical character. But the reality is, we can be a mom or a dad, a grandma, a grandpa, who are now marking the children at their heart level, at their core, with the things of God. So that one day they'll be able to say, you know, I remember when grandma, I remember when grandpa were so tender and sensitive to the things of God. And now that's why I am where I am today. What kind of a mark are you leaving on this generation? What kind of a mark are you placing on their heart? Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for this Mother's Day service, this day that we can be welcomed back home as a church into our church building. And Lord, what a great blessing it is to be able to gather, to be able to see one another. Lord, we can't come forward to an altar this morning, but certainly we can make an altar right in our very seat and we can respond to you from the heart. And Lord, conv- convicted and committing to uh, making a greater mark on the children that you've allowed us to be around, would you help us to impact them? Would you help us to mark them in the ways and in the things of God? Help us to mark their character as you would have it to be marked. In Jesus' name I pray. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Perhaps this morning, very simple invitation. Perhaps you'd just say, Pastor, God spoke to my heart today. Would you just pray for me? God spoke to my heart about someone I need to mark or being more diligent in making those marks on the hearts of those children. Anybody like that, you'd say, God spoke to my heart today. I need to respond to him this morning. Good, amen. Let's just do that right there in your seat as the piano plays. We'll just have one verse of invitation.